Chapter 1 Discussion and Bed Up at the League, says a friend, there had been one night a brisk conversational discussion as to what would happen on the morrow of the revolution, finally shading off into a vigorous statement by various friends of their views on the future of the fully developed new society. Says our friend, considering the subject, the discussion was good-tempered. For those present, being used to public meetings and after-lecture debates, if they did not listen to each other's opinions, which could scarcely be expected of them, at all events did not always attempt to speak altogether, as is the custom of people in ordinary polite society when conversing on a subject which interests them. For the rest, there were six persons present, and consequently six sections of the party were represented, four of which had strong but divergent anarchist opinions. One of the sections, says our friend, a man whom he knows very well indeed, sat almost silent at the beginning of the discussion, but at last got drawn into it and finished by roaring out very loud and damning all the rest for fools, after which befell a period of noise, and then a lull, during which the aforesaid section, having said good night very amicably, took his way home by himself to a western suburb, using the means of travelling which civilization has forced upon us like a habit. As he sat in that vapour bath of hurried and discontented humanity, a carriage of the underground railway, he, like others, stewed discontentedly, while in self-reproachful mood he turned over the many excellent and conclusive arguments which, though they lay at his fingers' ends, he had forgotten in the just-past discussion. But this frame of mind he was so used to that it didn't last him long, and after a brief discomfort caused by disgust with himself for having lost his temper, which he was also well used to, he found himself musing on the subject matter of discussion, but still discontentedly and unhappily. If I could but see a day of it, he said to himself, if I could but see it. As he formed the words, the train stopped at his station, five minutes' walk from his own house, which stood on the banks of the Thames, a little way above an ugly suspension bridge. He went out of the station, still discontented and unhappy, muttering, If I could but see it, if I could but see it, but had not gone many steps towards the river before, says our friend who tells the story, all that discontent and trouble seemed to slip off him. It was a beautiful night of early winter, the air just sharp enough to be refreshing after the hot room and the stinking railway carriage. The wind, which had lately turned a point or two north of west, had blown the sky clear of all cloud, save a light fleck or two which went swiftly down the heavens. There was a young moon halfway up the sky, and as the home-farer caught sight of it, tangled in the branches of a tall old elm, he could scarce bring to his mind the shabby London suburb where he was, and he felt as if he were in a pleasant country place, pleasanter indeed than the deep country was as he had known it. He came right down to the riverside and lingered a little, looking over the low wall to note the moonlit river 
near upon high water, go swirling and glittering up to Chiswick Ayat. As for the ugly bridge below, he did not notice it, or think of it, except when for a moment, says our friend, it struck him that he missed the row of lights downstream. Then he turned to his house door and let himself in, and even as he shut the door too, disappeared all remembrance of that brilliant logic and foresight which had so illuminated the recent discussion, and of the discussion itself there remained no trace save a vague hope that was now become a pleasure for days of peace and rest and cleanness and smiling goodwill. In this mood he tumbled into bed and fell asleep after his wont in two minutes' time. But, contrary to his wont, woke up again not long after.